I grew up in a church where each and every week we recited the Lord's Prayer. I also have been an assistant coach. They don't let me have the big coaching job. An assistant coach for football and for baseball and even for basketball, even though I have a negative vertical leap. And after the game, we'd pull together and again, we'd recite the Lord's Prayer together. Now, I'll have to admit for my part that many times it was exactly that, simply reciting the Lord's Prayer. That is, words that I had learned as a child and brought over into my adulthood, but but really as far as embracing those words and meaning those words, maybe not so much. Especially when you come to a part of the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How many times have you said that with your mouth? But then when you stop to think about what it means, forgive me my debts, my trespasses, my sins, as I forgive those who, for, who have trespassed or indebted or have sinned against me. Wow. That's big. Do you really want to pray that? I mean, seriously, when you think about it, or do you want to go and say, God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive others? For some of you, (laughs) you go, okay, can we just skip that part? Because to be quite honest, as we continue this I Choose series and we focus on forgiving others today, this is going to be a difficult message for some of you. Quite honestly, you're going to struggle with this because some of you have walked into this place this morning carrying some very deep wounds that have been caused from some very bad hurts in your life. Some people have been cruel to you. Some of that was in words, but you know as well as I do that sticks and stones are no match for words. Sticks and stones will break your bones. But words can break your heart, your spirit, your life. And some of you have been abused verbally. Some of you have been abused physically. Some of you have been mistreated in unspeakable ways. And so when it comes to this concept of forgiveness, it sounds really good on the surface. And we kind of like to receive it. But as far as giving forgiveness, extending forgiveness, that's a challenge. C.S. Lewis put it this way, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Makes it a little different then. This morning, I'd like you to kind of suspend your doubts, suspend um, the challenge that you're going to have, I, I want you to hear what God has to say perhaps into your life today. Let his word speak into your life and then allow that speaking to begin to mold and shape your thinking and your actions. Father God, I pray that this word will be delivered in such a way that it will be received by those who hear it as not words from a pastor 
standing on a platform, but as your words to them. And Father, help us to apply it individually to our lives. Because God, quite frankly, you're speaking directly to us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew 18, we encounter uh, a situation where Peter, that bold and sometimes brash apostle, comes to Jesus with a question. And so we're going to be looking in Matthew 18, and we're going to kind of take some sections of this as we work our way through it. And so if you want to open your Bibles there, that's good. It's going to be on the screen. You also have it on the handout that you received this morning, and you'll be able to follow along with that. But as we move along, let, let's focus on what's, what's taking place here, because we need to hear this this morning. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, anyone who's wrestled with having been hurt by someone else and and, and wrestled with this idea of forgiving them, uh, we're kind of in the same boat here with Peter. And we may want to know What is the limit of forgiveness? When is it okay to stop forgiving someone? Where is that that line that if crossed, I no longer need to forgive? Many Jewish leaders of, of Jesus' time said that that number was three. If someone committed the same thing against you, you should forgive them once, twice, three times. But on the fourth time, you were under no obligation to continue to forgive. Now, that's got to be in the back of Peter's mind since that was the common way of thinking. And so Peter comes up and he asks, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Up to seven times. Now, seven, you'll remember, is the number of perfection, the number of completion. And so he's coming up with this number thinking this has got to be it. This has got to be the answer. And I'm not really sure what motivated Peter. You know, Peter did have a brother. And therefore, he may have been specifically asking. You know, Andrew's getting pretty close to the line here. And I just need to know when I can say, that's enough. No more forgiving you. I mean, I've had a brother, so I completely understand that. I don't know what his motivation was. Maybe he was curious. Maybe he had a bet with the other disciples. Well, hey, what number is he going to come up with? Maybe he really wanted to know. Jesus is talking about forgiveness. Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. And yet it seems, you know this as well as I do, that there are some people who seem to repeatedly do the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And you have to wonder, does there ever come a time when I can just say, dude, that's enough. You're not forgiven anymore. Go away. And so Peter comes up with this question, how many times shall I forgive? Up to to seven times. And, And Jesus, his answer is not a mathematical equation. Now, you'll see on the screen, and you'll see perhaps in your Bibles, that some translations say 77 times, some translations say 70 times 7. I want you to understand that what Jesus is not doing is giving him a magic number. He's not giving him you know, a, a mathematical equation. Whether we're talking 490 times, my math 70 times 7 should equal 490. It did the last time I tried it. 
or 77 times. That's not what Jesus is trying to do, is to give him a number to fill in the blank. What Jesus is trying to do is to use that number of perfection, seven, to show and to teach that forgiveness is actually to be without limits. Now, for some of you, you hear that. You don't like to hear that. You don't even want to hear that. You'd rather think that there was a magical number. There was a a point in time when I can draw the line and say, you've done one thing too many and therefore you're not forgiven. So to help Peter understand this and to help us to understand it, Jesus tells a story, a parable about a king and two servants. And we want to hear that story this morning. So let's start. In Matthew 18, 23 to 27. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Anytime you open your Bible and you read the kingdom of heaven is like, you want to perk up your ears because God is getting ready to teach us something about how we respond as as people who acknowledge God as king. The kingdom of God is anywhere where God is acknowledged as king, where God is honored as king. So here, we're part of the kingdom of God. Your home, part of the kingdom of God. If you take Jesus with you into the classroom, that is part of the kingdom of God. Wherever you go, because you are under his kingship, you take the kingdom with you. It's portable like the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's portable. You take the kingdom with you wherever you go. And whenever we read that the kingdom of heaven is like, then what you want to see here, what you want to come to understand is, he's telling you how it is to live under the rule of your heavenly king. The story is really simple. A king wants to settle his accounts. Maybe it's the year end, the fiscal year has come to an end, And he brings out the books and he begins to settle his accounts. How much do I owe someone else? How much do they owe me? Let's get this stuff squared away at year's end. On the ledger was a man who owed a huge debt. The NIV we just read said that he owed 10,000 bags of gold. The New Living Translation translates that simply millions of dollars. The literal translation is that he owed 10,000 talents. And when we think of talents, we think of the giftedness, being able to sing or play an instrument or juggle or whatever it is, whatever that talent might be. But a talent, in fact, is a measurement, a unit of measurement. Um, If you go and look it up, and and there's some disagreement because we've got 2,000 years between then and now, but a talent in New Testament times, was equivalent to 58.9 kilograms, which tells most of you absolutely nothing. So let me translate that. It's about 130 pounds. 
about 130 pounds, typically the talent measured gold. So we're talking 130, 130 times what? What does it say? 10,000 times 130. Is my math correct? Is that 1.3 million? Okay, 1.3 million pounds of gold. Now, I don't even know what the going rate for gold is, but it is more money than I have in the bank. It's more money than you have in the bank. It's more money than any of us have in the bank all added together. In fact, this amount was way more than most of the districts paid in their taxes back to Rome. So when you're talking something that equivalents, that's equivalent to the tax rate of a country, now you're talking a lot of money. Now you've got to be wondering, how would this guy get that far in debt? And here's the point. That, that's not the point. Jesus is not trying to give us, he's trying to tell us a story to prove a point here. And so what he's done is, he's given us an amount of money that would have caused people to swallow their gum. An amount of money that is far greater than anything that we can imagine. I will never forget the first time I held a hundred dollar bill. The first time I had a hundred dollar bill in my hand, I felt like the richest man in the world. I remember when we bought our house. And there's that point in time where the check is written by the mortgage company to the seller. And, it, it, and I said, can I just hold it? Can I just hold that check? Because it's a big sum of money, and I've never held that large a sum of money. Okay, what we're looking at here is something that would abs- dwarfs anything that, you, that, that surpasses anything that you could think of. This is a massive amount of debt that this man owes. There's no way this man can pay it back. And that's the point that Jesus is making. And so the king passes a verdict, a judgment on this person that was fair. It was the right thing to do. He wasn't getting all his money back, but he was going to get something. And so he ordered that the man and his wife and his children be sold into slavery whatever their worth was, came back to him, and that everything that he owned was sold and the money come back to him. Now, he's going to lose some, probably lose a lot, but at least he'll get something, and this guy's going to spend the rest of his natural life paying the price and knowing that he's put not only himself, but his wife and his kids into slavery. Now, that was fair. That was a just punishment for the crime. Now, this pronouncement, the man fell at his knees, and he began to beg the king. Now, now, and remember these words, okay? Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. Remember that, okay? Mark that. Be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything. Now, the very thought of that was ridiculous. There's no way the man could pay this debt back. It was far beyond anything he could earn in, in many, many lifetimes over. 
And so the servant asked for patience. But he got something better instead. He received pity. He asked for patience. And he got pity. Now, you and I look at that word pity and we go, I don't like that. I don't want anybody to pity me. But what you need to understand here is that the source of this word pity means that he was moved from deep within. In other words, compassion. He had compassion on the man. He draws a line through the debt and he lets him go. Now again, the disciples would be on the edge of their seats hearing this story. Here is a man who owes an unimaginable amount of money. And the right thing to do, the just thing to do, is to punish this man. But because he begs the king not to do that, the king has mercy on him, compassion for him. He cancels the debt and he lets him go. Now you'd think, If someone had done that for you, that you would be the happiest person on the face of this earth. Not so fast. Let's keep reading. Pick up with verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Remember where you put that bookmark in your brain? Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. And instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So this this first servant, newly forgiven had escaped a lifetime of servitude for himself and his family. He'd gotten a new start from a merciful king. He went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him some money. And how much money did he owe? It says that he owed 100 pieces of silver. Literally, that's 100 denarii. Again, we don't use denarii. So what is a denarii? A denarius contained about a tenth of an ounce of silver. Now we could go and we could look that up on the market value, but the easiest way for us to get this is by putting it to an equivalent of what it would be today. Uh, a A denarius was what was paid a person for one day's labor. So what a day laborer would make. And if it were an eight-hour day, minimum wage based on what we get, maybe 60 bucks, okay? About $60. And he owed him 100 denarii, which meant about $6,000. Now, still a lot of money, but when you compare it to what this first servant owed, $6,000 is nothing. It's peanuts, to what he was just forgiven. And the reaction, the reaction of the, the king towards the first servant was understandable that he would sell him into slavery. And then, but then he gave him mercy. The reaction of the second servant makes no sense at all. And, and his disciples would have been sitting there going, are you kidding me? He went out after being forgiven 
millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he found this guy who owed him 6,000 bucks and he treated him that way. He was filled with anger, filled with venom, filled with, with rage. He grabs the man, he begins to choke him. The king didn't even do it to him. The man falls on his knees and he begins to beg. And we've heard these words somewhere, haven't we? Be patient with me and I'll pay you everything. And you would have thought that somewhere the tape would have reround in his brain and he would have gone, I've been here before, but I was this guy. And at that, he'd have pulled him up and said, brother, I am so sorry. Let me just tell you what happened to me. I went in before a king. He was so merciful, so gracious, and he forgave me a debt that I could not pay. And here I am treating you like this, brother, I'm sorry. Let me tell you something. Your debt is forgiven. I I wish that were the way the story went, but it's not. Let's check it out. Oh, before we go to this next verse, since you have a blank, I'll help you fill it out. Those who've been forgiven so much should be quick to forgive others whose debt is not nearly so great. And again, just like C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness sounds like a really good thing until we have something to forgive. But let's move on in the story. Matthew 18, verse, picking up at verse 31. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger... His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until the day he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The story of the king forgiving his servant millions and millions and millions of dollars probably had spread pretty quickly among his friends. All all eyes would have been on this guy. I mean, just, just imagine. He's just been forgiven. People have heard it. Now they're telling people, can you believe what the king just did? He just forgave this guy millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. He'll never see a dime of that back. Can you believe that? Let's watch him. Let's see what he does now. And and the guy would have come in probably with stooped shoulders and the head bowed low. But he would have gone out with a, with a smile on his face or a skip in his step, or at least that's how we would imagine the story would go. And everybody would be looking to see how he'd react. Would, would he walk out and just find anybody and everybody he could and just grab them and hug them and say, Hey, man, I love you. I love you, man. And just, yeah, just keep going, going down the line. Would, would he find the nearest stump and hop up on top and start preaching, declaring, the mercies of the king. Do you know what a great king we have? Do you know how merciful and forgiving our king is? But that's not what happened. We just read the story. But we also need to know this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, 
forgiven and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, then you need to know people are watching you too. They're watching how you react when you're wronged by someone else. Their eyes are on you. What do they see? Would they know from the way you respond to other people that you've received mercy? Would they know from the way you respond to other people that you understand what it means to be forgiven? The witnesses, they go back and they tell the king what happened. And so that first servant was called back in. King wastes no words. You wicked, wicked servant. Wicked is bad, okay? I mean, that, you're, you're, you're the bottom of the barrel, wicked. I canceled all that debt that you gave, had. Do you, remember, do you remember that debt? Here, here, pull it up in the books. Let him see this. Do you, look, look, can you count? Do you see how many zeros are on this thing? I forgave you all that debt. Shouldn't you have gone out and forgiven someone who owed you such a paltry amount? And and the story says, because he's a king, he can do this. He reinstated the man's debt, and he had him thrown into jail. But this time, this time, he would face torture for the rest of his days. Peter had asked about forgiveness. He got more than he bargained for. Peter wanted to know, where's the line? When can I stop forgiving people? But Jesus told a story that painted a way, way different picture. Forgiven people, he said, are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. There may be a thousand reasons for you not to forgive someone. But there is one overwhelming reason to forgive. And that is because you are forgiving. Jesus is not trying to tell us now, now now get this. He's not trying to tell us that if we don't forgive someone, we'll lose our salvation. That is not the point of this story, okay? Don't, don't want to get that. If, if that were the case, then forgiving someone would be a work that would either gain or secure our salvation. John Piper wrote, forgiveness is not a work by which we earn forgiveness. It flows from a heart satisfied with the mercy of God and rejoicing in the cancellation of our own $10 million debt. If we understand the cross... And we understand the mercy of God. And we understand the depths of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. How can we hold on to that debt that's owed to us? The trespasses done against us. The sins committed against us. Now, I am not saying this is easy. And I will go ahead and tell you, forgiveness does not come naturally. We forgive not because we feel like it. You and I must make a choice to choose the path of mercy. 
to choose to forgive. And I will make you this commitment. If you choose to forgive, God will give you the ability to forgive. But you've got to make that choice. The model of our forgiveness is not what we see in the world. If so, there is very little forgiveness to go around. The model for our forgiveness is what God has done for us. God's word says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up, to get all, you know, spiffied up and and, and get our lives right before we came to him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And therefore, we are called to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Some of you are sitting here and going, but what if that other person doesn't deserve to be forgiven? Now, I got a chuckle here, but let's face it. That's what's in some of your minds. Pastor, it's easy for you to stand up there and talk about forgiveness, but you don't understand what's been done to me. You don't understand what's been taken from me. You don't understand how I've been wronged. You're telling me that God wants me to forgive that. They don't deserve it. The very simple answer is to look at the cross and to recognize we don't deserve it either. What did you do to earn Jesus paying the price for your sin? Here's, listen, this is something about debt that works both spiritually and physically. If you owe a debt, someone has to pay it. Either you will pay it, you'll go find someone who will pay it for you, or the person to whom you owe the debt will cancel it. And if they cancel it, guess what? Who's paid it? They have. That's what the cross is. This is the payment, the price for your sin and for mine, and it was paid for. You you deserve that. But Jesus did it on your behalf. He paid a debt that you could not pay so that you might receive what otherwise you never could receive. Mercy and grace and forgiveness and life and peace and eternity with him. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying the model for our forgiveness is not what we see in the people that live around us. The model for our forgiveness is what we see on the cross. I'm also not saying that you can forgive and forget. If you can, you're a better person than I am. I still remember the hurts, the words, and the actions that were done to me. Some of them I remember all the way back from childhood. Okay, I haven't forgotten. You can't forget. But you can still make a choice to forgive. Because forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. 
I'm also not asking you to put yourself in harm's way. I want you to hear this clearly. To forgive someone does not mean that you go back into a situation where you're going to be continued, where you'll continue to be abused. That is not what it means by forgiveness. There are consequences from a person's actions that forgiveness does not wipe away. And so we need to keep that in mind. We, we don't want to misunderstand what forgiveness is. It's not permission for a person to continue to abuse you. It is a decision that you make that you will not hold that person's sin against them. One of the greatest challenges of following Jesus is the choice to forgive those who do not deserve it, understanding that you yourself did not deserve it, and yet you were forgiven by God in Christ. But when you forgive, when you forgive, you leave room for God's justice. And in the end, I promise you this, he will balance the scales. There's coming a day when the books will be opened and the accounts will be settled. My prayer is that next to your name, a line has been drawn and a stamp has been put on it. Paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't seem fair to forgive someone who's hurt you. And quite frankly, it's not fair. It's mercy. And Jesus taught us what it was like to live as kingdom people when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. They will be shown mercy. Let me close with this. When we choose to withhold forgiveness. We usually think that in doing that, that we're somehow hurting the other person. That's not true. You want to know the truth? That person from whom you're withholding forgiveness is either blissfully ignorant of the fact or totally ignoring it. In other words, it ain't bothering them at all. You're the one who's carrying the burden. The only thing that you get for unforgiveness is bitterness and turmoil. Unforgiveness is toxic. It is toxic spiritually. It is toxic emotionally. It is toxic mentally. It is toxic physically. Unforgiveness is like holding a hot coal in your hand and cursing the person that started the fire. Some of you need to let that hot coal go. It is poisoning your life and your relationships. You have a choice. You can let your hurts and your disappointments define who you are, or you can let the grace and the mercy of God in Christ define who you are. Today's the day to choose.